think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 299 of Low Limit Football on this 27th of September, 2020. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, Schalke have sacked head coach David Wagner after their poor start to the season. Rena continues to lead Ligon after their 3-0 victory over St. Etienne on the weekend. Chelsea come back from 3-0 down at halftime on the road against West Brom, and Inter and Fiorentina trade goals in a 4-3 thriller to open the season for Inter. American footballers are again in the news as well as Serginho Dest is on the verge of moving from Ajax to Barcelona. We're going to discuss that and more with our very special guest Cheyenne Foster from Between Clean Sheets who will be joining us in just a little bit. But first let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. How are you my friend? Good, but when you say, well, two things actually. Mm. One, shouldn't it be American soccer players when you're referring to Serginho Dest instead of footballers? I feel like that might be a bit uh, word is, that might be the more associated word when it comes to describing Sergio Dest. And two, I thought Inter steamrolled Fiorentina though. <laughs> well, okay, so let's take your second one first. That was uh, that was a post by one of the major networks that Inter steamrolled Fiorentina. But goal, uh, it was goal. Yeah, yeah, always oh, goal. Thank you. Um, but yeah, it went what one nil Fiorentina, one one, two one Inter, two two, three two Fiorentina. 3-3, three, 4-3, three, three, enter. That does not sound like a steamroll to me. It sounds like a thriller. It sounds like a fantastic match. Uh, it sounds like something exciting, especially because I believe Inter scored the last two goals inside the last 10 minutes of the match. Um, but to say they steamrolled them? Mm, no. No, I don't think so. The, sec the first part of that, uh, referring to them as footballers, um, soccer players, because we're talking about Americans. I, I know, isn't, isn't that kind of the... The, the the way things are going right where where you have to use the american term um i mean i don't know I, you know this is this we talk about like epl centric right uh Serie A centric doesn't that make you american centric rob if you if you have to use that term no you don't have to but i think it might 
take away the confusion. I mean, I, I, mm. I think we both know the difference. Like, we, we're not going to sit there and say, no, you should call him a football player instead of a footballer. Mm-hmm. But, um, I don't know, maybe it's just for namesake you'd rather want to refer. I mean, I don't, I don't care right. either way, All but right. it's perhaps easier to just say football player or soccer player the, just to I mean, when it comes to American at least right well then for this show because this show is actually heavy American right uh, we're, we're, we're going to talk about a lot of American things and American players we will not refer to them as footballers today we will refer to them only as soccer players how's that I'm down with that all right <laughs> <laughs> so um, so again we've got a great show planned um, as well so let's get let's get right into it and you sir have the honors of trivia today so uh, go easy on me Actually, I will this time. Um, I'm going to refresh your memory a bit. Mm-hmm. But in the 2000 Champions League final between PSG and Germany, nine different nationalities play, were in the starting 11 for both teams. Name the nine countries. Okay. I just want to double check um, it's nine as well. Yeah, it's PSG, PSG Bayern Munich for this 2020 uh, Champions League final. Um, starters or, or total? Starters. starters, just starters. Okay, starters. Okay. All right. I'm just going to double check as well. Yeah. Mm. Efforting, efforting. Seven, eight, nine. Yep. All right. Nine. All right, so we are in business. I uh, I think I'll get a few of them. Uh, all nine, uh, it's going to be close, but we'll, we'll definitely see how well I do uh, coming up at the end of the show for sure. Um, so let's get right to it, Rob. Right. And the opening thoughts tonight is, uh, again, like we said, this is a very American centric show. Um, and we have a great guest to be American centric tonight. We're going to talk about the youth of American soccer. Um, what's going on with these soccer players in Europe? Uh, we see the, the rise of Weston McKinney at Juventus, you know, making his first appearance for the team and really having a fantastic uh, match. We see Christian Pulisic going on well. I mean, right now he's injured, but, but uh, you know, the close of the season at Chelsea was fantastic. We talk about Tyler Adams and the things he's done at Leipzig. We talk about Josh Sargent and how he's moved up through Werder Bremen. Um, you, you know, there, there are many, many different players. Zach Steffen is now with Manchester City proper instead of being loaned out. So this is a question that actually was uh, originally asked on Jason Davis's show on Sirius XM. And I heard it and I thought, you know what, that would be something that we could we could talk about. Um, is this the golden age of American soccer? Are we entering um, in terms of the, the youth and the talent? We talked about Serginio Dest at the beginning. Are we entering an age of a golden age of soccer for Americans, uh, you know, and, you know, we have to go back and look there. We've had some pretty fantastic players, whether we talk about Landon Donovan, we talk about uh, Clint Dempsey, all the goalkeepers we've had, uh, you know, defenders as much as you don't like him as a pundit or I don't like him as a pundit. Alexi Lalas was was a was a fantastic defender, one of the first Americans to move to Italy uh, and, and play there. You know, talk about guys like Marcelo Balboa, Eddie Pope. I mean, there there have been names, you know, Demarcus Beasley. There have been so many um, fantastic names in American soccer over the years, at least American fantastic to Americans. But this is not only is this a crop of players that we have right now, Rob, where we talk about Pulisic being successful, successful in England. We talk about Adams being successful in Germany. We talk about McKinney being successful in Italy. Um, Dest being successful uh, in, in champions league in the Netherlands and getting ready to move to one of the biggest clubs in the world in Barcelona. Um, But you talk about their youth 
right? I mean, I mean, this is this is, I think, why we have to ask this question. Zach Steffen, twenty five years old right now. Serginio Dest, nineteen years old. We have um, uh, we talk about uh, Christian Pulisic. We talk about um, Christian. I believe just turned twenty. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, Christian Pulisic. Yes. Uh, no, 22. 20, 22. So, all right. So, still younger. Um, you know, Tyler Adams is also still uh, young as well. Tyler Adams, I th- I'm looking up his age real quick here, um, but I believe he's in his early 20s also. Regardless, a lot of youth and a lot of youth being successful on the world's biggest stages. And we could be entering it. Now, the one argument I would give against it, Rob, is the fact that I don't like the crop of central defenders. Aside from John Brooks at 27 years old, no one truly, truly excites you. Um, Miles Robinson at Atlanta United, he's had some glimpses of, of hope and, and, and performed well at times, but not not completely solid. Matt Miazga, we've seen him ebb and flow ever since he moved from New York Red Bull into Europe. Um, Aaron Long, who is currently at New York Red Bull, is is certainly an option that people are high on, And, and but 27 years of age, he's somebody that is, you know, not quite as young. Walker Zimmerman currently at LAFC, uh, another option, but nobody, like I said, like the Eddie Popes, like the Alexi Lalases, like the Carlos Bocanegras of the world, um, Oguchi and Yewu. I mean, these were all big, strong, quick central defenders that that caused problems for some of the best attackers in the world. And I don't see that even even in John Brooks, who I think is a solid, excellent defender at Wolfsburg. Um, he's just not quite that level that I think um, that, that, that he is. I mean, um, I want to throw it over to you and get your thoughts. One, is this the golden age or do you think we're entering the golden age? And what are your thoughts on, on my central defenders take? Well, I, I just actually just put something into I the chat that. that you probably missed. There is one player that definitely deserves a mention and we actually saw him play um, last week in, in their win over Schalke. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Chris Richards. Uh, Chris Richards, the the 19-year-old, um, certainly is not getting a lot of playing minutes at Bayern anyway, but still is one that will definitely be considered on this national team. Um, so there's one name, but I, I agree. I think there isn't as much of a of a influx of talent that we're seeing in the attack of, of younger players or maybe those in the midfield or those playing in different positions on the defense. But having said that, no, I, I think it's going to be tough to say if we're entering into a golden age because we now we have to see what they do on a national team. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately, you know, it's all fun and games when you're playing one of the biggest clubs in the world, which I'm happy for. I think it's we should be content that we're probably going to see at least an American be a starter in one in one of each of the five leagues, mm-hmm. like in, and at least one team of each of the five leagues, and that's incredible. That that's something that I think people should feel excited for. I think people have every right to feel excited for. But um, again, these kids are these kids. These players are still young. You know, I mean, just love some of the names that I mentioned. I think I mentioned in the tweet before. He said Pulisic, McKenny, Adams, Giorena, Serginho mm-hmm. Dest, Reggie Cannons at Boavista in Portugal, Josh Sargent, um, Conrad de la Fuente, a player that's coming up from the Barcelona Academy. All those players are 22 and younger. I mean, certainly that in itself brings a lot of excitement for a lot of players. And this is, of course, some of the players that I didn't mention. Like you said, Stefan, Timothy Weah, Lil, Tyler Boyd, uh, Ulysses Yanez. I mean, Chris Richards. I mean, there's a ton of talent out there mm-hmm. that is ready to be um, 
shown to the entire world. And and hopefully that by the time you know we get to those significant matches for the United States Gold Cup World Cup qualifiers, and obviously hoping the 2002 World Cup, 2022 World Cup, that we get to see that talent be be used. I mean, certainly you're going to make your criticism about what the manager is going to be like and how they're going to utilize their players. But no, I think signs are looking up. I think mm-hmm. we saw the season already. I mean, we saw Gio Reyna get on the score sheet. I mean, we saw McKinney starting for Juventus. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of these players get significant minutes, which is important. I think it's important for these players not only to play for these teams, but to actually get minutes and actually start you saw play an important part for these teams and and eventually i think once we we see that they're able to demonstrate those talents on the united states national team then we can be um happy and and definitely be hopeful of a so-called golden generation but to say such a thing now is a bit early and a bit far-fetched but things are looking that way for the time being and I think you bring up a great point that these kids not only are going over to Europe, but they're getting valuable and meaningful minutes. They're not coming in, you know, at, at the end of uh, getting the last 10 minutes in a 4-0, you know, victory they're, or 4-0 four, or defeat. They're, they're starting. Gio Reyna scored the first goal for Borussia Dortmund this season. I, I mean, you bring up a great point there. And you've got starters in all five of the major leagues. And, I mean, if you want to take it even further than that, you can take it further than that because, you know, you, you look at the Dutch league and, and the Portuguese league and, and we're there as well. So I think you bring up a great point that it, it is early to um, to say that we do have a, a golden age or we're entering a golden age. But it is certainly promising. You know, it, it's it's the old um, it, it's the old adage about potential. Right. What is this player of potential? Who's the next Lionel Messi? We love using that one. Right. Um, these are the kids on on paper and on potential. Uh, I think if they fulfill their potential and fulfill what we see on paper will be considered the golden age of American soccer. What they do with that as a unit, as a U.S. men's national team will also remain to be seen. But I think that will be part of how they'll be judged. If, you know, if Pulisic is, a, is, is successful in Chelsea and, and, and Tyler Adams is successful at Leipzig and, and McKinney's successful at Juventus and Dest is successful at Barcelona and they don't qualify for another World Cup, there, this it would be a massive failure, first of all. But, uh, but then I think that would actually stamp them as, as the greatest potential in, in American soccer history, but potential that was not fulfilled. So, I mean, it, it's, it's a heavy weight, but they are... You know, in the United States or on CONCACAF, this is a this is a region that they should be qualifying through very, very easily. Um, I wanted to look back, though, on some of the other teams, Rob, quickly, because, you know, when we talk about Golden Age, we've got to compare them to what we think might be the Golden Age. Um, So I, I looked back at a couple teams. The first one I want to bring up to you, Rob, is the 1994 World Cup team. Uh, You know, let's go all the way back there. Kind of when when the Americans really burst onto the onto the scene with with talent. I mean, they played in the 90 World Cup. They were there in the 86 World Cup as well. But but it was really No, they weren't. I'm sorry. sorry I'm sorry. I'm not sorry, 86. Not 86. Um 90s when they started, but it was college kids. Okay. I mean, it was really just a bunch of college kids. You know, that was uh I believe that was Bob Gansler when that started because this team was was coached by Bor Milutinovic. Um, but the team on the, nine, the 94 team and this is the team that started against Colombia, uh, which was you know considered one of the biggest 
American upsets. Um, you know, Tony Mill in goal, you had across the back line, Marcelo Balboa, Paul Caligiuri, Fernando Clavillo, Alexi Lalas. In the midfield, you had Thomas Dooley, John Harks, Tab Ramos, and Mike Sorber. And uh, up top, you had Eric Winalda and Ernie Stewart. Subs were Roy, Roy, Roy Wagerly and Kobe Jones is another name that we haven't mentioned. Um, but that was, you know, a pretty strong team and a pretty exciting team. And a lot of those guys went on to successful careers, whether it be in the United States, as they grew into the new MLS that was born from this 94 World Cup, or they went on to Italy or you mean went on to Europe and, and played there. That was the first team that I, I looked at. The second team I looked at, Rob, was the 2002 World Cup team. This is the team that beat uh, Portugal 3-2 in the group stages. And this team is a little different. Um, Brad Friedel in goal and across the back, Tony Sana, Eddie Pope, Jeff Agus, Frankie Haduk. Uh In the midfield, you had Ernie Stewart, John O'Brien, another guy that was ultra, ultra talented that, you know, succumbed to injuries, unfortunately. Pablo Mastroianni, uh, Demarcus Beasley, the ageless one. And then up top, you had Brian McBride and a young Landon Donovan. Uh, Kobe Jones subbed in in this match. Joe Max Moore, Carlos Yamosa. I mean, this was a pretty good team, too. Uh so this is another team I looked at. The next team that I looked at after this was um, the 2010 uh, World Cup team. This is the team that drew against England and actually won the group. I don't know if you remember that. Um, this team, a very different uh, construction as well. Tim Howard, Steve Chirondolo, Jay Merritt, Oguchi Onyewu, Carlos Bocanegra, Clint Dempsey, Michael Bradley, Ricardo Clark, Landon Donovan, who's now the veteran at this point, Josie Altidore, Robbie Finley, with Edson Buttle and Stuart Holden coming in. Holden's another one that, you know, these are the players, Rob, O'Brien and Holden, for me, that um, if we, if they were, if they remained healthy throughout their careers, I think we might have looked at that group with Landon Donovan, um, with the entrance of Michael Bradley and Clint Dempsey. I think we would have looked at that group. What are your thoughts on that, that group? Because it's kind of the same path. A lot of players that went to Europe and played and uh, and were successful. Well, just to make it a bit clear and, and simple, I think comparing generations are different. I think soccer has evolved ever since the 1994 World Cup to now the 2010 World Cup and even into this one for the 2022 one. I think certainly we have seen an evolution of players that have been able to work not only as a unit on the national team, but those that are playing abroad. I think certainly we can make the case of how a generation of players were able to get results in significant World Cup matches mm. and obviously win titles in the middle, which obviously counts as um, Gold Cups. So again, this is nothing against that talent in itself and what they're able to do. I'm telling you, though, that with the talent that we have, we haven't seen players that are playing at a significantly high level and certainly for the biggest teams in the world um, week in and week out. And that's what makes this one this batch of of american talent different but as we said it, we have to see how they do in those big tournaments when they do qualify assuming that obviously they do um and from there on just see how we can compare them i Certainly. think eventually if they're able to do such a thing and, and definitely supersede their previous um compatriots from previous world cups and they have every right to to be themselves in a golden generation no doubt let's um let's continue this conversation with our guest um we're going to be welcoming in cheyenne foster from between clean sheets and uh we can discuss this further so without further ado let's get cheyenne in here and let's have uh let's continue this discussion on the u.s men's national team joining us now on low limit football the host of between clean sheets cheyenne foster cheyenne welcome to the show it's great to have you Rob and I were just having a great conversation about the golden age of American soccer. Are we entering a golden age given the youth and the talent that we have over in Europe? 
and trying to compare it to some of the the past quote unquote golden ages or, or, or best teams that we've seen come through usually at a World Cup. What are your thoughts on the youth that we have currently uh, showing up in Europe, playing well, starting for some of the biggest clubs in the world? And are we entering what would be considered a golden age of American soccer? I would say yes. Well, I would say we're, we're definitely entering it. We, we aren't in it. Uh, we're at the very beginning, the infant stage, mostly because I'm not going to forget that we didn't make the World Cup in 2018. But when I'm thinking about 2022 or even a lot of the guys that were watching abroad, I'm, I am very, very hopeful. And I think that that is turning the page for what will be a golden age for American soccer. Although from my perspective, and you guys know this, and for anyone listening, my YouTube channel is based almost exclusively around Major League Soccer. I still think that the conversation that we're going to have about Americans abroad will include Major League Soccer because a lot of MLS players will still be on the U.S. men's roster, but there will be a widening gap um, if if American soccer domestically, the guys who stay here and play, don't get their act together or pick up their feet, so to speak. <laughs> and I'm sure you agree with me. <laughs> no, I guess I'll jump in. I think it's also important to have that kind of balance. I mean, I don't think we should be a United States team or, or a national team that's just Eurocentric. Again, it is important, obviously, that all of our great players are playing on the biggest teams in the world, which we are seeing with a lot of these guys that are coming up. But I think right. ultimately it, it probably would be better for us as a league. And, you know, of course, you can have whatever opinion you can have on the league in itself. And actually, that's a good segue to my next question, uh, Cheyenne. You look at some of the talent that we have, and, and certainly when you look at maybe some of the experienced names that we've already been seeing, you know, maybe your Jazzy Sardes, uh, Paul Ariola, and, and many other players, uh, Bill Hamid, you know, that are already getting experience on the national team. I think certainly you can also make the case of many young players um, that are playing, of course, here. And I think ultimately their goal is, of course, to be a professional player and to have significant minutes at MLS. But ultimately, I think it's for them to get into Europe because I think that is the main objective. But having said that, how do you feel about MLS nurturing this young talent that are coming from their academies or are starting off professionally um, before making that jump to Europe? Do you feel like it should be done at an early age? Like we're seeing with young players, like, I mean, obviously they didn't go through the system, but maybe like what Pulisic did or, mm -hmm. or, or players like even Tyler Adams, what he did when he played for the Rebels before going to Germany and even McKenney when he was at FC Dallas's academy before heading off to Germany and now at Italy. Do you feel like we should nurture this talent early on and then send them to Europe or have them get that experience firstly and then make that jump? Something similar to what we're seeing with like maybe Alfonso Davies at Canada before going to Bayern Munich and Miguel Amaron, who went from Atlanta United to Newcastle. Right. So I think if the when we're talking about academies in America, uh, Philadelphia and Dallas have really, really great ones off the top of my head. And I think the success stories there are the guys that started young and then just went to Europe. Because if I'm thinking about my team, D.C. United, we've got an academy um, until recently, it was a pay-to-play program, which is not very conducive to um, encouraging talent. It's it's mostly just getting people who can afford to be there. Um, and, and even those guys who have been pretty successful and are now getting minutes on the first team, they're still struggling to get minutes. So Alfonso Davies was, um, I'm not going to say lucky in that way. I think he would have thrived on any team. But 
with Vancouver being where it was, he was able to get much more playing time than I think he would have at a lot of other teams. And for the guys who have uh, skipped across the pond, a lot of them just skipped MLS altogether, which at this point, I think is smart. And the academy uh, program and process is a, is a long game for sure. But when we're talking about the um, what it does for the bigger conversation in American soccer, I think it's better to do that right now than it is to um, put them on a starting lineup and, and hope that day in, day out in MLS that they'll get minutes. And I mean, we still see it working on the other, the other side of the argument, uh, Brandon Aronson um, and Reggie Cannon, two guys who did really, really well, um, have done really well over the summer. Aronson for Philadelphia was great in the MLS's back tournament. And of course, Reggie with Dallas didn't participate, but that didn't stop him from, from getting some interest. But both of those guys still came from the academy. So, of course, the academy conversation is always there. Yes, I would like for for uh, the development of talent to start younger, but I do think um, there are a lot of teams across the country who could do a lot more to invest in their academy program. I think that's certainly an important thing, um, and, and obviously for the young talent that wants to get that opportunity to become a professional player, I think ultimately, yes, they do want to play in Europe, but also they have to um, take the opportunities and take the advantage of them playing you know, for the big major league here in the United States. I mean, certainly that that's a dream for a lot of players, but I think you can only go step by step in all of this, really. Um, right. Shifting gears to what we're seeing in MLS, I mean, certainly we obviously see the season coming back. We don't see a break that's going to be reinforced for the upcoming international break that's happening in October. And something that had come up just a few days ago was MLS apparently sending a letter to the numerous federations in Peru and in Paraguay saying that they won't release their players for those upcoming World Cup qualifiers because of health issues that they would get before when they come back to the nation after those games are done and missing significant games. I mean, certainly that's a big thing for those national teams. It's a big thing for the MLS teams because now we're getting into a conversation and we don't want to go into the health risk and all. But more into, into what I wanted to ask you, Cheyenne, is do we see a roster issue now for these clubs? I mean, certainly... I think we understand that with many of these teams that they have to have the reinforcements needed when those players won't be playing. And, and obviously every, they have every right to represent their national team. But is there a roster issue now with MLS? And I just want your thoughts on this whole scenario with the with this international break coming up and, and obviously the health issue that comes through it. I absolutely think there's a roster issue. And this comes up in a number of different ways. I mean, I think it was last year that Seattle told our national team that Jordan Morris or anyone on the Sounders couldn't participate in the January camp. And I thought to myself, it's interesting to me. I mean, the conversation now is a little bit more health slash pandemic related, but it is interesting to me that some teams seem to take it seriously enough that they're going to put club over country, regardless of the country. And then there are other teams that are just grateful that anyone on their roster would be national team eligible I think the conversation, and you have far more expertise on this than I do with uh, national teams in South America, I, I feel like the larger, the larger conversation here has to be the national team because it seems as if every country is going about club play 
uh, in their own way, given what's going on. And I will say in that regard, I don't think that the MLS, maybe they're being self-aware in that they know they can't control the health aspect of it. So they're just trying to contain things as best they can. But for some of these guys who put their whole life uh, on hold to come to America and play and soccer is, or football is one of the, the biggest things, not just in their life, but in their community to be called up by a national team is a huge honor that just because I think some Americans currently don't see it that way. Uh, I'm thinking of Darlington Nagby right now. Um, but I, just because we don't see it that way or aren't in a position where our team is at its best, doesn't mean that those guys don't feel that way for their respective countries. So it's one of those tough situations where because of the pandemic, um, I think things are happening that wouldn't, otherwise rules or the statement that the league made and that's just unfortunate i don't have an answer for it i don't don't know as if it really could be any other way but it is going to have a huge effect on on some of these uh national teams ability to get themselves ready for world cup qualification now shane i, I want to jump in because obviously with with rosters teetering on world cup qualification uh, especially if many of the the south american players return to south america for Conway Bowl qualifying um, I wanted to look at this from a coaching perspective. Uh, there's currently, there's been much made about Matias Almeida and the fact that he's on the hot seat after a couple of blowout losses. Um, I also want to bring into the discussion uh, DC United's Ben Olsen because Ben Olsen and DC United sit at the bottom of the table in the Eastern Conference right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> not, and, and, and I'm certainly not rubbing it in, but Ben Olsen is somebody that has been at DC United for quite some time now. And the old adage in MLS is that they never really fire head coaches. So I want your perspective on these two particular coaches because I feel like a change at the coaching position on these two squads could possibly change the fortunes of these two teams and maybe start to move them back up the tables while there's still time. Do you feel like there could be a a change for either one or both? Or do you feel like status quo MLS, they're going to keep their head coaches and, and continue on from there? So it's funny you say that uh, and use the word or the phrase rather hot seat because um, a Washington Post article just came out with some club insiders saying that Ben Olsen is currently in a scalding hot seat, which is pretty um, aggressive of a statement given that I think Ben Olsen has been all over the place in his coaching career and the response has always been he loves the club, the passion is there, um, he's in it for the long haul and even at the end of last season, I believe his contract was extended. And that was after we uh, blew an opportunity to have a home field advantage for the first playoff game and then went up to Toronto and just absolutely uh, got demolished and didn't even get to see Wayne Rooney play another home game before he left. So I feel like I am, I almost hate to say this out loud, but I, I, ha- I feel like I have to because I truly feel it. I want a change for DC United. Now, San Jose and DC are a little bit different. The earthquakes have had a couple of coaches. And I think for Almeida, it's a trial and error knowing that I don't think he intends on being with the quakes for a very long time. Um, And it stinks that I remember in the MLS's back tournament that they were actually doing really well. And this, this uh, man marking, style that he has was working the difference again now that i'm will bring back to dc is that i don't really think that ben olsen has a style so 
when you're looking at criticism you want to give Almeida, you're like, well, I see what he's trying and I see that it's not working. For Ben, I mean, day in, day out, I couldn't even tell you what his uh, what his coaching style is. And I think that um, his, in my mind, the way that I've tried to make sense of it is that he just uh, recruits good players and hopes that they fit well together. Mm -hmm. And uh, Julian Gressel, who came from Atlanta, is a great winger um, and is best on the side when he's crossing balls into the box. And for the first two, three games of this season, Ben had him playing in the middle, which was personally infuriating to me. <laughs> but I just, man, I don't, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. But you're absolutely right. I think the MLS just waits and waits and waits, which is why it was so um, jarring, I guess, to see the Red Bulls make such a quick uh, coaching shift after losing to us 1-0. And uh, to give you guys some perspective, Peter Vermees with Sporting Kansas City is the longest tenured head coach in MLS, shortly followed by Ben Olsen. And I would say Kansas City has had far more of a successful time in the past 10 years, uh, consistently making it to the playoffs, winning the Open Cup, winning an MLS Cup. Um, and Ben has just coasted. I mean, there's something to be said, and this is the last thing I'll say about it, but there's something to be said about the players that stick around and continue continue faithfully playing for him. Uh, that would tell you that he obviously is a personality that guys want to be around. But as the league grows and you've got uh, teams like Atlanta and LAFC really spending time and money on making themselves championship clubs, uh, DC United is going to fall behind if they don't make changes Um so we'll see what happens at the end of the season. They, like I said, the scalding hot seat is what Ben Olsen is currently sitting in. We'll see how um, hot that seat gets for him. That's for sure. I know. Yeah. It uh, might eject him entirely. It might be that hot. <laughs> that's steaming. But, um, before, before we let you go, uh, let, if you could let the listeners uh, know where they can find your work. Yes. So I hang out primarily on YouTube and my channel is called Between Clean Sheets, just a little soccer pun. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at BTWN Clean Sheets. So I um, I love the opportunity to talk soccer like this. And I'm so glad that you guys decided to call upon me for my expertise. Well, the, ple the pleasure <laughs> was definitely all ours. Um, best of luck with uh, with the YouTube channel. And we look forward to having you back again very soon. Great. Thanks so much, guys. And special thanks again to Cheyenne Foster for joining us on the show. Rob, let's shift gears and let's actually go to Europe uh, momentarily because much was made about Luis Suarez this week. He passed a test. Uh, there was some questions about that. He did not get his Italian passport, so he did not complete a move to Juventus. That forced uh, Juve to pick up Alvaro Morata from Juve. They brought him in on a loan with with uh, an option, and Luis Suarez is going to take his place at that Letty. As uh, as the time of this recording, Luis Suarez is on the bench. Diego Costa starting in uh, Atleti's match. Um, but what are your thoughts on on the whirlwind of Luis Suarez? And even you know, if you want to go dig a little deeper, Alvaro Morata moving to Juve, which which is because of the Eden Dzeko stall, because of Arkadiusz Milic stall out of Napoli to Roma. There was a lot of moving pieces here. What are your thoughts on on Strikergate? I guess. Well, I, I think um, certainly both teams are going to have good strikers. Um, I think with Suarez's track record. 
you could make the question of his age and maybe that he definitely lost that kind of movement and speed that he's had in the past. But certainly he can be someone that I would assume would start majority of the games, but it would take some time. I, I think we understand that this athletic side is Atletico Madrid side is very talented. I think they, they definitely have a lot of key pieces that can help them see the contention for not just the, the league, but definitely go for the um for the Champions League and, and significant other titles. So I, I think they definitely have gotten a, a very important player and it's gonna be very weird to see him in another shirt for a direct rival that isn't Barcelona. Um but I think with uh, you know someone like uh, Morata going in, I think you know he's still young. I think he he's had the experience before. You know he's played at Juventus and he's definitely know what it takes to play for a team like that. But certainly, I, I think now as as we start to see the the last few years of what we're getting with um, with Cristiano Ronaldo, and now you're looking at players like maybe DiBala getting in, and and, and Kulishevsky, who maybe could play as that position up front. Morata can come as someone who technically is a veteran in this sense, but can help um, learn or at least teach these players on how, on how to play and, and and be effective up front. So I think they're good moves for both teams. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I think. <laughs> Juventus would have liked to maybe have Suarez on that team. Um, I don't know what you think, but I think um, I think ultimately it's a win-win. I, I think many people can say what they want about Alvaro Morata, but I think when he's effective, he's effective. And I, I think he can really do something, maybe as an understudy or definitely be a, a significant starter uh, throughout the the next few weeks. Yeah, you know, with with Morata, when, when you think about him, his biggest successes really were at Juventus, weren't they? I mean... He, and his and this is something that uh, you and I talked about with uh, Alex Dano and Jerry Mancini on the Cultural Connection podcast over the weekend. The the successes that Morata's had at Juventus were coming off the bench, right? He was never really a starter. There was always somebody there, whether it would be Mandzukic. Um, I don't believe he played with Gonzalo Higuain there, but I could be wrong. I, I just I don't remember the two of them being there together, but I know Mandzukic was there at the time. You had uh, Fernando Llorente was there at, at one point. So they're... There, he was a role player, and when he went to the Chelsea's of the world and back to the Real Madrids, and and then to Atleti, he was he was not the role player uh, that he was at Juve. He was he had a little more weight on his shoulders, and he doesn't do well with that weight. So I think coming into this team, like you said, with Kulusevski, with Cristiano Ronaldo, with DiBala, he comes in as a role player, and I think that is a uh, that is right where he needs to be. Did they miss? Did Juve miss out on on Luis Suarez? I, I mean, I guess yes because of of the talent that he brings. But again, Juve, you can see them trending younger. Artur's younger. Kulusevski's younger. McKinney's younger. They were they were trending in that younger direction. Got rid of Iguain. Got rid of Matuidi. They're working on get rid of, getting rid of Kadira. They they are trending younger, and and I think that. That although he is ultra talented um, and and, he, and he's certainly one of the top strikers in the world in terms of you know his talent, the talent is is starting to diminish because of age, and I think it ultimately would have been a step backwards for Juve to to probably bring him on. For me, if you were going to bring on a, a Uruguayan striker in his thirties, I would have rather seen Edson Cavani than uh, than Luis Suarez. I feel like Cavani offers more, and they would have gotten him much cheaper. But it looks like Cavani is um, actually Rob. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, isn't he also rumored to be going to Atleti, um, possibly? 
on a transfer. I, I thought I saw something about that. I can't remember if it was Atleti or not. But uh, it's you, you are right, but it's not just Atleti. It's their um, their noisy neighbors as well. It's Real Madrid. And Real Madrid as well. So, so they're both competing for him. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I think he would have been a better get than than Luis Suarez and and also likewise um, Alvaro Morata. But um, obviously Juve trying to trend younger. Um, Morata, I want to say, is 27, might be 28 at this point, um, right in that ballpark. I know you're quicker at finding those numbers than me. Um, but I think... Uh, for, for what, sorry? Uh, for for Morata, Morata's age. Um, uh, 28, I think. Yeah, I, I was going to say 27, uh, 28. 27. 27. 27. So um, still younger. Um, obviously, he's not past that 30-year-old mark that, that we all like to use. So I, I think it's a, it's a good get for them. Uh, and I think he, he fills a role. He's familiar with the Juventus way. He's familiar with Andrea Pirlo. And, and I think ultimately he's going to work out well, and he's probably going to outperform um, the world's expectations. I think he'll probably be right along the lines of what Juve expect out of him, which will probably be you know that spot striker, Coppa Italia type stuff, spelling somebody in the second half uh, in, in a match. Those are the things that he does well. He can come in and snipe a goal. Uh, we've seen him do that a million times. So I think those are those are his places, and and I, and I think he understands that role at Juve, and I think he'll he'll be pretty successful there. So let's um let's come back to the Americas and and look at Copa Libertadores because we haven't spent a ton of time. I know we've given some matches of the week, but this this competition kicked back off a couple weeks ago, and we are we're literally into match day five now coming up this week, and we've got some matches to keep an eye on. Um couple of things. Uh, Flamengo obviously turning this around after they're, they're smashing from um, Independiente da Valle uh, 5-0. They come back and they beat uh, Barcelona um, of, uh, of Venezuela, if I remember correctly. Ecuador. 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 Uh, 2-1. So they went on the road and, and did that. Now they come back home. One of our matches we're going to look at this week, Flamengo's going to host IDV and, and, and kind of pick up on that 5-0 loss that they had, which at this point... Both teams are holding off Junior to to stay in first place in Group A. It's going to be probably the best match. That one's interesting to me, Rob. The other one, um, you look at uh, at Group D, uh, LDU Quito and River Plate uh, are currently battling at the top with Sao Paulo currently in third place and, and still trying to get into that spot. Sao Paulo is going to take on River Plate this week. That's another interesting match because that could shake up things in Group D. And, and there are a couple of other tight races that we see in, in, this, um, in, you know, in this Libertadores, this version of it. Group E looks uh, incredibly tight. Uh, Internacional and Gremio at seven points with America de Cali and uh, uh, Universidad Católica at four points each. I, again, these are teams within striking distance of each other with two matches to go. What are your thoughts so far on the return of Libertadores? And what are some of the other matches that you might have in mind that are that are intriguing for you? Well, I think it's been excellent so far, really. I think we've seen a lot of goals. We've seen a lot of golosos, we should say, of those goals. And I think we see a lot of tight races. I mean, he mentioned that, that game between the the reigning Libertadores champions and the reigning Sudamericana champions, uh, Flamengo and Independiente del Valle. That's going to decide the group. I think ultimately, of course, I think um, Barcelona needs, uh, I mean, these guys need Barcelona to do a favor against Junior on the same day. But ultimately, I think if they're able to do so, then that could assure both these teams uh, a place into the next round, no matter what happens. Let me um, um, let me, can, let me jump in here and ask you a quick question. Um, obviously, they're, they're going to play this week. Uh, Davaye and uh, Flamengo are going to play this week. Does the loser get knocked out of Libertadores and into the Sudamericana? 
uh, where Junior kind of sneaks in through the back door? Or do you think both of these teams can still, one of them can lose and still make it to that last round with one game go? Well, no, because it, that's a good question because Flamengo would have to play Junior in that last game. So mm. ultimately, I think if Independiente del Valle were to win, I think Flamengo can take opportunities and can take advantage of that and and get the win against Junior. But again, I, I think ultimately, even a draw would probably suit both of these teams well. But mm-hmm. I think ultimately, these teams want to go out and win. I think Flamengo really want to win this game after losing 5-0 in Quito just last week. So, yeah, I, I think if it is a draw, it would probably settle both these teams well. But I think they really want to go out for the win to secure their spot uh, into the round of 16. But yeah, I think we're seeing a lot of good races. I mean, we're seeing... Palmeiras, a side that haven't lost yet in Group B. I mean, we saw uh, Nacional. Nacional have been perfect so far, 4-0-0 in all their games. Um, you know, Santos have, haven't lost a game yet. Uh, Boca, Boca are starting to come back. And after all the controversy that had been given to them uh, following their positive COVID-19 cases on players, they're starting to find form. So, yeah, I think some of the matches that you had mentioned are, are important. I think you've definitely bring up a lot of good races and and again you know it's, it's been fascinating to watch and we're seeing a lot of young talent come about so we're seeing a lot of great players make uh, make a name for themselves and yeah that's the that's the beauty of the Copa Libertadores even unfortunately if that beauty has been lost without having any fans uh, at the stadium. Nacional have only conceded one goal in four matches uh, on their way to that perfect record you just mentioned. Uh, also Boca Juniors only conceded one goal in their uh, in their four matches the two best defensive teams um, yeah, and I, and I and I like the reference back to that Libertad match uh, where it was basically like COVID gate, where I believe like 19 players and coaches from Boca Juniors had tested positive for coronavirus uh, about a week before, and then about two days before, uh, pretty much everybody tested negative. So, um, you know, obviously the the drama always is ramped up in, in South American football, uh, to say the least. That this coronavirus pandemic has just added another level or another layer to it, and. Uh, you know, again, great matches coming up with with match week five this week. We have got uh, we've got some serious matches. Let me let me run down the matches of the week coming up, Rob, because then we'll get back to the trivia question. Because we're going to start out with uh, Boca Juniors Libertad Tuesday at eight thirty p.m. and the Flamengo Independiente de Valle match uh, Wednesday at eight thirty p.m. Those are going to be probably going to be the two biggest or best matches to watch in the Libertadores this week. And again, like you said. It's it's match week five. It is there are a lot of tight races still to be decided. Nacional is still perfect. We'll see if they can hold on to that perfect record. But there are certainly some intriguing matches coming up this week. So, um, also for matches of the week, while we're at it, uh, back in Europe, Lazio and Atalanta will play Wednesday in the Serie A, two forty five p.m. Saturday, Leeds Manchester City. That one should be a barn burner. Twelve thirty p.m. on Saturday in the Premier League. Uh, we also have in MLS, Inter-Miami, NYCFC. It'll be interesting if Gonzalo Higuain gets his, his start uh, for Inter-Miami uh, next week. That'll be Saturday at 8 p.m. Then we look over at Ligon on Sunday with Lyon and Marseille at 3 p.m. Bayern Munich hurt to Berlin in the Bundesliga Sunday at noon. And probably the biggest match of the week, Barcelona are going to be home to Sevilla Sunday at 3 p.m. Uh, we'll have to see if Sergio Dest is in uh, the Barcelona Blaugrana by then, or if we are still um, in a holding pattern with the deal with Ajax. That'll be uh, one of the underlying stories to keep an eye on for that uh, that transfer. So, um, Rob, your honor was trivia, my friend. Uh, can you give us the trivia question again? Absolutely. So in the 2020 UEFA Champions League final between Paris Saint-Germain and Bayern Munich, 
Nine different nationalities made up both starting 11s for both teams. Can you name the nine countries? I've got seven of them written down so far, and I, and I don't know okay. who I'm missing. And, I, and I, just to correct me if I'm wrong, because I didn't write down Italy, so I'm not giving you Italy as an answer because I don't think Marco Verratti started in the match. So, yep, he did not, but so, he did come in, so good, did, good eye on that. Yeah. So obviously the easy ones, Brazil, right? Yes. I mean, how many starters did we have? Uh, Three. Exactly. I, um, okay, so it was Neymar, it was Thiago Silva, and it was uh, Thiago uh, for Bayern Munich, right? No. Oh, and no, he's Spanish. Thiago, yes. Yeah. And Marquinhos was Marquinhos, the other name. Marquinhos, thank you. Oh, I can't believe I missed him. Argentina? Yep, with Leandro Paredes and Angel Di Maria, so that's two. I, I guess you did mention Spain, so we'll put him there. We have Thiago uh, Ander Herrera and Juan Bernat on PSG, so that's three. Yep. Costa Rica? Costa Rica with Kaylor Navas in goal. Germany? Germany with uh, naming the guys on PSG, Tilo Kaylor, uh, um, PSG at defense, and five, no, six German players on Bayern Munich. Neuer, Kimmich, Boateng, Goretzka, Navri, and Thomas Muller. France? France with Kimbembe and Mbappe playing at PSG, and Kinsley Coman at Bayern Munich. Canada? Canada with Alfonso Davies. Poland? Poland with Robert Lewandowski. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's I'm one more. Oh, Rob, one more, huh? I'll, gi- I'll, give you, I'll give you a hint. It's the Bayern Munich side. Okay. On the Bayern Munich team. Okay. Um, let's see. Muller's German. Lewandowski. Sula played in the back. He's German. Sula did not play in that oh, no. game. Uh, he, well, he, he, he did, in, but he, he didn't He came start. in with Jerome Boateng, and it's, uh, it's Austria. Austria with David Alaba. So Thank those you. are nine different nationalities. I'll go in order. Costa Rica, Germany, Brazil, France, Spain, um, Austria, Canada, and um, Poland. And, Sp- and yeah, Spain as well. I, I think I said Spain, right? Yeah, I, you did say Spain, yeah. I okay, can't... let me try again. Costa Rica, Germany, Brazil, France, Spain, Argentina, uh, Austria, Canada, Poland. Those are nine names. Wow. Can't believe I got it right. Who knew? <laughs> so so since I got lucky and got all those right, um, I definitely don't want to push my luck anymore, my friends. So let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right. So for episode 299, special thanks again to Cheyenne Foster for joining us on the show. We are off next week and preparing for our 300th episode. So for episode 299 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. I'm Robert Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. <laughs>